Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, I want to welcome you today. We're kicking off a three-week message series, as you've already heard, in which we're going to be talking about what it means to be generous. And that's going to pop up here on my screen, I think, in just a moment. What it means to be generous. And I wanted, as we kick things off today, I wanted to just invite you to look at that word. It's a good word, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great word. And I (laughs) thank you, honest person in the crowd. The, The word generous is one that I think all of us would love uh, maybe if we could imagine our funeral, like a long time in the future, that as people celebrate the life that we live, they would say this about us, that, that we were generous. And I think most of us, if we're honest, there's been people in our lives along our journey, along our story, who were generous, who gave us their time, their encouragement, their words, and their resources. And so we know the power of this And we've experienced the power of it. And there's something about a generous person, someone with this quality, that it's attractive to us. It's like, I want to, I want to aspire to be like that. Uh, We're moved by generosity. And I believe that the reason why we're so attracted to generous people is because generous people reflect God. God is generous. Our Heavenly Father is generous. He gives us all things. And so when, when we become more generous, and that's really the goal over the next three weeks, is to talk about how we, each of us, you and I, can become more generous. And when we take steps towards becoming more generous, we actually be taking steps towards becoming more like our Heavenly Father, which is, which is awesome. If you're a guest with us here today, you're probably thinking, oh no, I showed up on the giving talk. <laughs> You know, he's going to talk about tithing, you know, terrifying stuff. But, but in reality, what I think we're going to learn and discover over the next three weeks is that generosity is so much more than just putting money in an offering or writing a check. It's, it's, a, it's a heart uh, disposition. It, it affects every area of our life. And I think, I really believe uh, that all of us, if I were to ask everyone to raise your hand, like, who here wants to be a generous person? Like, every person would put up their hands, so I'm not even going to ask. Because I think there's something inside of all of us that goes, that's what I want. And so I wanted to start today with attention, okay? And this is attention that I think all of us face, and I will put it up on the screen here, and it's this, that, that many want to be generous. As I said, if I asked you, everyone would be like, yeah, that's me. But the, the issue is we want to be generous, but it's like, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I have the, the time. I don't know if I have the resources. So we kind of get stuck in this desire, and I can tell some of you guys are so nervous that I wrote a song for you. Because, you know, whenever you talk about money, people get nervous. So, um, And as I said, we're not just talking about money anyways. But I wrote this little song. It's an original. So, you know. But if you know it, you can sing along. <laughs> uh, let's see, see if we can do this. If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, I'd definitely give God a tenth. Or maybe even a 20%. If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, I'd pay somebody's rent and they'd never know it was me. I'm in the wrong key. I should have a capo, but that's okay. If I had a million dollars, people wouldn't go hungry anymore. If I had a million dollars, cause I'd buy all the food in the store. If I had a million dollars, they wouldn't call me Scrooge. If I had a million dollars, I'd be generous. See what I did there? Yeah. All right. 
I use the capo next service. But here's the thing. When I, I remember as a, as, a, well, as a young kid, teenager here, when that song came out like 25 years ago, it was such a like fun. Ever, it's like in the song, they sing, I think it's the Bare Naked Ladies, they sing about, they sing about uh, what they would do if they had a million dollars. I'd buy you a house. I'd, buy, I'd put a tree fort in the yard with a mini fridge with those little sausages and Dijon ketchups. And they kind of go on with all the things they would do. And of course, 25 years later, a million dollars might get you a three-bedroom bungalow. So there's, there's that whole inflation thing. But it was like, man, it, the song was all about like, just imagine, what would I do if I had more? And I think one of the things about this tension with generosity is many people want to be generous. And we think to ourselves, if I were rich, if I had more, I would give more. If I had more time, I would, I would give, but I don't. And so we get caught in this loop where we want to be generous, but we don't think that we can. So many people want to be generous, but we feel like we're not able to be. And one of the things that I hope uh, that we'll grasp as we go through this next three weeks is that every single person can be generous. And here's why. Because every person has something to share. That's the idea. Everyone can be generous. And if we wait until we're rich, uh, we'll never be generous because rich is a moving line, as many of you know. So I want to look at our, our key text uh, for the next three weeks that we're going to kind of keep coming back to. It's found in First Timothy chapter 6, and we'll put it up in just a sec. And this particular passage is Paul, and Paul is writing to Timothy, who is a young pastor in a city called Ephesus. And Paul writes to him, and he's giving him instructions about how to talk about money and wealth with rich people. And I know, here's what he says, let's just go look at the first bit of the verse. He says, as for the rich in this present age, those who have a lot of stuff, and you're all thinking, perfect, it's not me. Because he's talking to rich people. And everyone defines rich differently. 25 years ago, people said if you had a million dollars of equity, if you had a million, you would be rich. Today, uh, I was looking at an article online. They were saying that in the U.S. at least, uh, people think they're rich when they get to five million. And, of course, people who have five million go, well, I'm not really rich because I don't have a private jet. So, I mean, when I have ten million, then I'll be rich. So there's this moving line, and we don't think we're rich. But, again, by comparison with most people in this world... Middle-class Canadians, which many of us are in this room, uh, we are in the top 5% of the world's elite. We have houses with roofs. Not all houses have roofs. And walls and furnaces and air conditioning. And we have groceries in our fridge. We're not worried about what we're going to eat tomorrow. Uh, we have uh, medical care. We have all of these things provided to us. So we don't think we're rich, but most of the world would love to trade places with us. You agree? So what he's about to say to rich people, I know you don't think of yourself as rich, but this is actually for you and for me as much as anybody. And here's what he says. He says, to the rich in this present age, I love this. He doesn't say give a bunch of money. We'll get to that. But he says, charge them not to be haughty. Fancy word meaning proud and arrogant. So essentially, he says, the first thing you need to know if you're rich, and most of us are, he says, is don't be proud. Don't have a hard attitude that says, oh, this is mine. Oh, look what I've accomplished. Oh, look at how much I've saved. Oh, look at all the reflection of my hard work in my wealth. He said, don't, don't do that. Don't become proud and arrogant. And then he says this, don't set your hopes in the uncertainty of riches. He says, here's what you don't want to do. If you have a bunch of stuff and God's blessed you, don't start trusting in it. Oh, I'll be fine next month because I've got all these savings. I'll be fine because I have this house or I have these resources. It's like, don't set your hope in those things. So don't be proud and arrogant. Don't set your hope in it. And then he says this, but set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So before he talks about generosity of any kind, he's like, let me just, let me, let's do some heart work. He says, don't be proud. Don't trust in your riches and wealth and what you have. 
And then he says, make sure you trust in God and acknowledge that everything you have comes from him. If you're new to church and new to biblical finance, because we're going to be talking on some of these themes in the next three weeks, um, the big idea in the Bible is this. God owns everything. He created it all, and all of it returns to him. And we're stewards. We're managers of his stuff. So all the things that you have, all the money, the resources, the time, your family, everything belongs to him, and we're managing it like stewards. There's this text in 1 Chronicles 29, and uh, David, who's the king of Israel at the time, if you can throw that up for me, Uh, David, who's the king of Israel, collected all this gold and silver and lumber to build a a temple, Solomon's temple. And after they have this huge mound of wealth, he says, who am I and what is my people that we should be able to do thus and offer willingly? He says, for all things come from you and of your own hand we have given you. David's like, we could get really proud about all the stuff we're giving to God, but he's like, in reality, it's all his stuff. There have been so many times where I've taken my kids to the dollar store, you know, for Father's Day. (laughs) And and I'm giving them my money and they're buying cards and stuff. And and, and then so we'll get home and, you know, they're like, happy Father's Day. And they give me a card and a chocolate. And I see them eating a chocolate bar. So they help themselves to a little bit too. And it's it's, it's funny because it's like, I know it's actually my money that they're spending and giving it back to me, but I'm still excited to see it. Why? Because they're developing generosity. And I wonder sometimes if God doesn't look at us like that. He gives us all this stuff and we're like, here, God, I got you something. He's like, good for you. You're learning. You're good. You're good to be generous. That's great. So he's encouraged to see us stepping out in generosity. And and so all of it comes from him. I love what uh, Bobby Grunewald says. He's one of the pastors at Life Church. He, he says this, it's easier to give when it's not your money. True? So much easier to give other people's money away. Um, but when we recognize that it all belongs to God. So Paul, before saying anything about generosity, he says, um, don't be proud. Don't trust in your money. Trust in God. And what's incredible about this is that he's actually focusing on the heart of generosity before he ever actually talks about doing anything for anybody or giving anything. It's it's heart work. You know, often I hear people get nervous when pastors talk about giving and money because uh, so many of you have seen or experienced times where where pastors or preachers or televangelists, you know, they come on and they're just like, you need to get, and it's like high pressure sales and all that kind of stuff. And what's interesting about that is I've heard them say so many times, well, Jesus talked about money all the time. And when I hear that, I want to say, yeah, but he never once collected an offering. (laughs) That's the punchline. It's like, ah, he talked about money all the time. But when Jesus talked about money, guess what he always did? He always connected it to our hearts. Because he wasn't after our money. He's still not after your money. He's after your heart. And, and so Jesus talked about money a lot. He talked about how it's connected to our heart. And, um, and so that's why I think Paul, as he's starting out, he's like, tell the rich people this. Don't be proud. Don't trust in your riches. Trust in God. Trust in God. And, uh, and then he goes on to say this. And here's the practical piece. And then we'll, we'll move on. He says, here's, this is such a great definition for what generosity should look like. They are to rich people. That's us. Do good. He still hasn't even said, give your money away. He's like, do good. You're like, God has given me a lot. What should I do, pastor? Do good. Do good. And then he says, be rich in good works. Help people. Do something with what you've been given. And then he says, finally, be generous and ready to share. And next Sunday, we're actually going to focus in on this phrase, ready to share. Because as I said, many of us, many people today live at the edge of their financial, at the edge of their time. Like if you look at their calendar, it's full. If you look at their bank account, it's all gone and spent. 
And so we have no margin to be generous. So we're going to talk about how we be ready to share next week. But once again, as we said earlier, everyone can be generous because everyone has something to share. That's just such a great reminder because what we want to do over the next few weeks is learn that there's something we can do now. Maybe it's something small, but you can begin to be generous and take your first step. And so he, he finishes with this. Let's go back to 1 Timothy 6. He says uh, to, to be ready to share. Thus, he says, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's this principle that, man, when we become more generous, we actually experience the life that is truly, truly life. And so uh, there's sort of three questions that I want to uh, that I want to ask and answer over the next three weeks. We'll throw those up here. Here's the three questions. Number one, why should I be generous? I mean, why not keep it all for myself? Right. That's a great question. We're going to talk about that in just a sec. Number two, next week, we're going to talk about am I ready to be generous? Do I have enough margin so that I can share? Because if I'm spending it all on myself, I, I don't even have the opportunity to do that. So we're going to talk about having margin. And the third, we're going to talk about what's my next step, because Maybe you're beginning your journey of generosity and you're like down here and you've, you know, everything's being spent on yourself. Everything, all your time and energy goes to yourself. And maybe you're down here. Your first step would look very different than somebody who's 20 years down the road on this generosity journey. But everyone can take a step. Everyone has somewhere to grow in the area of generosity. So that's what we're going to talk about. So let's talk about the first question. Why should I be, why should I be generous? I could, I could give you a number of answers for this. I could tell you that when you're generous, it comes back to you because it does. When you sow abundantly, you reap abundantly. So when you're generous and kind and help others and giving of your time and your resources, there's just this incredible thing that blessing comes back your way. And that's true, but I don't think that's the reason why we should give. I think it's also true that when we give, not only does it bless us, but it blesses the people around us, our family, community, our church, our city. is better when we become more generous. I could also tell you that when you're generous, you store up treasures in heaven. So when you, your generosity in, is investing into eternity and, and that there is uh, rewards in heaven. And that's also true, right? Also not the reason why we give. I really believe that the reason why you and I should be generous is this, because it's the proper response to God. And what I want to show you today is that when we understand how generous God has been to us, how good he is, how much he loves us, that our being generous to him and to others is a proper response. It's the right thing. And regardless of all those blessings I talked about now and in eternity, it's, it's the proper response to God. And so with that in mind, we move on to the next question. This is where everyone gets nervous. What should I give to God? What should I give? Like, is it, is it an amount? Is it a percentage? Is it a formula? Like what does he want my sheep? Because that's what they did in the Bible, right? Does he want my grain? Like, what, like what, what should I give? Is it $10? Is it $100? Is it 1,000 is spelled T-H-O-U-S-A? It's a one followed by three zeros. That's right. I see, I'd be a terrible televangelist. I can barely spell 1,000. But you get the idea. Is it an amount? No. Is it a percentage? I don't even, I'm going to share with you today, I don't even think it's necessarily a percentage. It's actually a principle. So when we ask the question of what we should give God, it's a principle. And principles are cool because principles never change and they always apply. In every generation, and every time, no matter what economy you're in, they always work. So when we ask the question of what should we give God, here's the answer that we're going to look at today. My first and best. Can we say that together? My first and best. This is what God requires. This is what God desires from us. Our first and best. You go, well, well what's that? Well, we'll talk about what that is, but... 
It may not be what you think. It's your first and your best. Uh, We're going to turn in just a second to Exodus chapter 13. Okay, and in this particular text, it's it's very, very interesting because uh, we have the God of Israel and he's revealing himself to the nation of Israel. Moses shows up and tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, not a chance. And so plague after plague comes upon the land. Finally, the 10th and final plague. And Pharaoh says, get out of here. Take your people and go. And so what's happened here is God has won a great victory for the nation. And this, what we're about to read, is Moses instructing the people of Israel right before they're about to leave Egypt. So they're like, we're free. Yeah, they're having the party. The balloons are up. And he's like, I want to tell you something before you even set off across the wilderness towards the promised land. There's some instructions I want to give you. And this comes directly from God. And I think what this is going to do is it's going to, it's going to help us understand what exactly God is after. So let's go to Exodus chapter 13. He says this, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, this is the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as he swore to you and your fathers, and he'll give it to you. So God's like, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you an inheritance. And he says, when I give it to you, there's something I want you to do in response to my generosity. Here's what he says. You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. I want you to think about this. He says, when you get to the land, not before, but when you get to the land and you get your little parcel of land, you've got your farm, you've got your little barn, you've got your animals, your crops and your family, you've got your homestead. He's like, when you get there and you're living in the freedom with the blessings and on the land that I'm going to give you, here's what I want you to do. Whenever one of your animals has a child, you know, a uh, a baby. If it's a male and it's the first one, you're going to give it to me. You're going to give me your first and your best. Uh, let's let's look at the next verse because he's going to he's going to give some more instructions. So uh, just stick with me. You're going to understand all this in just a sec. He says every firstborn of a donkey. Now let me clarify: donkeys, according to the uh, Mosaic law, donkeys were unclean animals. Okay. Sheep and other animals were clean animals. So if your donkey has a firstborn male, you will redeem it with a lamb. So if you don't redeem it with a lamb, you'll break its neck. So God's like, I don't want you to sacrifice to me, but if you won't sacrifice something to me in its place, it must die. Okay? You guys with me? You're looking at like, okay, here's what's going on. We have an unclean animal, and he says, it belongs to me because it's the first but since it's unclean, it must be redeemed with a clean animal. And so what we get is we get this, we get this, this principle emerging that the clean, if you go to the next one, the clean redeems the unclean. Okay, so the, the unclean donkey gets to live, gets to be redeemed because a clean animal is substituted in its place and dies in its place. And so he goes on in the next verse, say this. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So God's like, it's not just the animals, but the first male child in every family, which in those days was a really important role. The firstborn son would carry the family lineage and the wealth and care for the family. And he's like, I want your first and best of your sons. But he's like, I don't want you to kill and sacrifice your son to me, so you're going to redeem your son with a lamb. And I love this. In the next verse it says this. It says, and when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? Now, these are the kind of verses you read these. Like, if you've ever read this chapter, you're like, okay, weird. And you just move on. You tick off your Bible reading plan. But think about it. Why would the son say, what does this mean? I want you to imagine with me, little Billy and Sarah, we'll use North American names. 
Billy and Sarah come running into the house. Dad, Gertrude the sheep just had its first baby sheep. Dad runs out to the barn, lifts up this beautiful little perfect baby sheep, looks between its legs and goes, male, firstborn, takes out a knife, slits his throat. And the kids are like, ah! And they're running in the house crying, going, what just happened? And then as those kids get older, they see this play out over and over again. Donkey's born, they kill a sheep. And this is born, they kill that. And then the firstborn male, dead, firstborn male. You know, the firstborn kid's getting really nervous. (laughs) Some of us, if you've had a really rough firstborn, you're like, God, you know, you could take him. But so, so that all, so your kids are watching and like, okay, dad, um, this doesn't make sense. You know, we'd be a lot wealthier if we stopped killing all our animals. Right? Like that, that sheep was innocent. And dad's like, yeah, that's the point. And Moses says, okay, you're going to do this strange thing. You're killing all these animals and everyone's, your kids are going to be like, what in the world's going on? And he says, here's what you're to say to them. So God's going to tell us what all this means. And he goes on to say this, you shall say to him, you shall say to your children, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Right before Moses gives this command to the people, God had just delivered them. So listen. They were slaves. They had no property. They had no wealth. They were slaves in Egypt. And the final, the final judgment of God in those 10 plagues was the angel of death. Many of you will know the story. And so the angel of death comes to Egypt and guess who the angel of death kills? All firstborn males of men and animals. I could get a show of hands, all the firstborn males in the room and we could put up our hands and it would be really eerie to think in one night, all the firstborn in Egypt of of men and animals died no wonder they said get out of here (laughs) get out of here you cursed people you're you know but if you know the story the jews were not affected by this plague this judgment of god why because moses had told them he says i want every family to take a young lamb a one-year-old the best one you can get your first and best and i want you to take that lamb and and it's actually going to live in your home for four days which is really awkward because the kids you know probably name it and play with it and then dad kills it And then the lamb is cooked and the family would eat it on the night and they put the blood on the doorposts and the lintel and the angel of death passed over. Why? Because God had redeemed his firstborn, the nation of Israel, his people with an innocent lamb. And so as the dad is killing these animals and the kids are going, dad, why are you doing this? He says, listen, we weren't always free. Listen to me. We didn't always have land. We didn't have freedom. We didn't have any animals to sight. We had nothing and God saved us and redeemed us with the blood of the firstborn animal. And so here it goes on to say this. He says, when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. And so he says, kids, listen, because God has been so generous to us. Listen, kids, your great grandfather was in Egypt and he was a firstborn. And if God had not provided a lamb to redeem him, you wouldn't be here. Do you you get the gravity of how this would play out for Jewish children? It's like you need to understand. And so therefore, therefore, because of what God has done, because he's given us all this that we have and he saved us, therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. The principle is this. Because God has done so much for us, given us this land, given us this freedom, we gladly give our first and best back to him. What I want you to see is this is a principle. The clean, as once again, the clean redeems the unclean. And you're going, okay, 
What I need you to understand is that all of that is symbolic and it all points to Christ who is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And on, uh, in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist is actually baptizing people in the river. They're coming going, I'm a sinner. And he's like, I know. And he's putting them in the water and cleansing them symbolically in the water from their sins. And he sees Jesus and he says this. He sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold, notice these words, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's like, in his mind, all that imagery of these lambs, you know, being, redeeming the unclean animals, redeeming the firstborn sons of Israel. And he's like, Jesus is the lamb who redeems us. We are unclean. We are sin, sinners far from God. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus is the lamb. He, all of that symbolism about the clean animal redeeming the unclean is all pointing to how Jesus comes and redeems us. Apart from his gift, apart from him giving his life, God gives his firstborn. He gives his first and his best for us. We talked about this a number of weeks ago. Jesus is first, okay? He is preeminent. He created everything and everything goes through him and everything is to him. But not only is he first, but he goes first and he gives first, right? You know the verse, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave his only son. So all this that God was asking people to do through these generations was all to signify what God himself would do for us. And I'm telling you, apart from Christ coming and dying and giving himself to redeem us, we would have no hope in this life of eternity. We would not be able to be sons and daughters of God, to be forgiven. We would be under the judgment of God. Death is the only thing that we could look forward to. So he gives us his first and his best. So if God gives us his first and best, what do you think he wants from us? Our first and our best. I'm going to ask Diane to come and, and to play as we, as we end. But here's the thing I want you to think about. Um, I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what your first and best is. But I do know this. It begins with the heart. God's after your heart. He wants your love. And if he has your heart, he gets everything else. And, and we get to figure out what first and best looks like. Um, years ago... Uh, my, my wife, Jessica, and I uh, were married very young, and uh, we were fresh out of bridal college, uh, Bible college, and uh, we got married young, and one of the things we decided at the very beginning of our marriage was that we, this was our decision, so no pressure on you, we decided as we started our marriage that we were going to take the first 10% of our income and we we're going to give it to God, that that represented our first and best. And I'd been to school, I'd studied all the scriptures. Some people would say, you know, Pastor, um, tithing as instituted by Moses, like give 10% of your income is actually part of the Mosaic law and it doesn't apply to Christians. Like, cool, I get that. We're not practicing the law of tithing. We decided to practice the principle of tithing, which actually predates the law of Moses. Abraham said, I give a tenth of all I have to you. His grandson Jacob said, I give a tenth. So we're like, that's a, that's a pretty good start for us. Like, we're not sure. Because here's the problem. As we go through life, it's hard to know what would be your first and best? So for us, we decided, okay, that we would do that. Which is crazy in retrospect, because I was working in a factory and I made $10 an hour. <laughs> we were young and in love and had no money. <laughs> we probably should have waited a little while to get married until I had a better job, but, you know, uh, Jess was crazy about me. So, <laughs> but we pulled it off. Somehow, um, somehow we took our $400 a week and took $40 out, put an envelope in the glove box. So I don't do that anymore. So please don't break into my car. Uh, we just put the cash in there and then we bring it to church and give it. 
And we just decided when we were when we were first married, we're like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna give ten percent to God. That's just like a thing we're committing to do because that's we want to give God our first and best. And then we're gonna volunteer and serve in church, no matter whether we're pastors or not. We're just gonna this is what we're gonna do. So we made some decisions and we we set a direction for our lives. And what's incredible about that is that over the years we, we've gone through difficulties, like like all of you have financially, but God's always been faithful. And we were able to buy a house with ninety percent, and we were able to raise our kids with 90% of our income because there's there's something neat that happens is like when you give God your first and best he redeems the rest and there's all these stories in the Old Testament like so for example when the nation of Israel actually got to the promised land if you read in the book of Joshua the first city was Jericho and had huge walls it was like not the place you'd want to start but God's like start with the biggest start with the best city the big wall Jericho and he's like don't worry I got this one and so they march around the city you know the story and on the seventh day, they march seven times. They blow trumpets. The walls come down. Victory's won. But one thing we miss is that God said, because it's the first and the best, all of the proceeds from this city go to me. And so all the gold and silver and everything that came out of that victory went into the temple fund for, for ministry. And some of you know there's this one, there's one guy named Achan. You ever heard of him? Achan gets some gold, gold nugget and some silver and like a fancy robe. And he like... Oh, God won't miss this and he like hides it and he puts it in the ground under his tent thinks nobody will notice and what always bothered me about that when I was a kid was um, I read this story and because one person out of like a million does this wrong thing the whole nation suffers and I used to think man like why would God punish the whole because they go to the next battle and they lose and lives are lost and there's this great loss and it's all because of one guy and I thought man if one person in our church sins and we all suffer, we're in trouble because all of us have got our stuff. And I'm trying to figure it out. And the reason why God took that so seriously is because what Achan had done was violated this, this principle of first and best belongs to God. And it represented the nation and what God wanted to do. And so again, I don't know what first and best looks like for you. All I can tell you is, is what we decided to do. And then even as a church, when we started this church 12 years ago, we decided at the outset that like, our annual budget, so like this year in 2022, our budget is $700,000. And that might sound like a lot, but that's like six or seven staff and like all of our rents and all of our missions and all of our, you know, ink and toner. That stuff adds up. Anyway, so, so we got this budget of 700000 What we decided from day one was the first 10% belongs to God and we give it away to other missions. And we've got Tony Jones here. We've got other uh, organizations locally. And we're like, that first 10%, first and best, goes to God. So we're just applying that principle to us as a church. And what's interesting is as I was kind of studying for this, the Lord convicted me because I was sitting there one day and... See, whether you're talking percentages or not, I don't think it's really about the percent. I think it's about first and best. And it's interesting to me as I was sitting in the office one day, it dawned on me that, like, I'll try to explain. We've set this money aside to give it away, right, as a church. And a lot of it's accounted for. We're sending out monthly checks. But some of it, when we got to December, we had like $15,000 left in that mission fund. And we'd start writing checks at the end of the year. And I, and I felt God say, I want your first and best. And so what that means is, so we're taking on a few new missions partners. We're, 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 we're sending out the money at the beginning of each month instead of at the end of the year. Does that make sense? First. And there's a part of me in my brain that goes, yeah, but if we cut all the checks at the beginning of the month and nobody gives, what are we going to do? And that's called faith. That's how it works, right? Like there were so many times in, in our life where we were like, you know, if we just didn't tithe for a few months, if we didn't give God his portion, we could get through this difficult season. 
But it takes faith to do it at the front end. To say, God, I'm, I'm giving you the first and best, not knowing if my Beatrice the sheep will have any more. I'm giving you the first and trusting you with the rest. That's the faith piece of this. It doesn't take any faith to give the leftover. It takes faith to give what's at the front. So I say all this and I want to close because I think it's really important um, that you don't get caught up in percentages and amounts. That's not the point of this. What I want to challenge you to do this week is to consider what is your first and best. And here's what I can assure you. Someone or something is getting your first and best. Your first money, your first time, your first attention is going somewhere. And you know, here's the coolest thing. You can actually figure out what that is. Jesus said, (laughs) where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a really cool thing. Like if you go to your online bank statement or your credit card statement and you look at where all the funds are going and what gets paid first and all the priority, you can see your priorities. It's like an MRI to your soul. It reveals what you love most. It reveals what's most important, what goes out first. And so I want to encourage you this week to take stock. And here's how you can do it. You can, again, look at your financial stuff and go, where is it going? What am I prioritizing? Second thing you can do is you can look at your calendar because we're not just talking about money. We're talking about time. Where's my time going? Have I filled it all up? And as you look at it, you can really begin to distinguish what is first and what is best in your life. I want to close with this this idea right here, that generosity is not about giving more. We're not taking up an offering. I'm not asking you to give anything today. I'm asking you to think about this. It's about giving your best. And I've got to be honest with you. For me, Um, There have been times and seasons where we continue to give a percentage that we decided and we continue to be faithful, but it wasn't our best. And it's amazing when you circle back, because remember what Paul said, the important thing is the heart. Your heart has to be right and connected, not proud, not arrogant. This isn't mine. And we're responding to God's love. So I want to encourage you with that. Next week, we're going to talk about how we can create margin, margin in our lives, in our finances, in our time, so that we can be more generous like we want to be. Would Would you pray with me as we close? Lord, I pray today that as as we close up this service, that that nobody is hearing me say that we want more from them. I pray that this would be an opportunity for each of us to examine our own heart and say, God, are you first and best in my life? No one can answer that except me and God, you and God. So Lord, today we ask that you would just shine a light by your spirit into our hearts that we could know you want our hearts more than our money. You want our hearts more than our time. It's not a percentage. You want our first and our best. And Lord, we acknowledge today that you deserve it because you gave your first and your best to us. Help us to be faithful stewards of all you've given us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I'm going to invite Todd to come up and share some closing announcements.